the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. And now for something completely different. Hey, I was, I'm a Hall of Famer. I'm in three Halls of Fame. For the young fans, they don't give a damn. They just give a damn about themselves and what they're hearing now. And I got no problem with those rules. I know the rules going in. I'm happy to play the game that way. And when Ivan came off with that uh, knee drop from the top rope and he bent me, I thought that something happened. I couldn't hear a thing. You could have heard the pin drop in that arena. It touched me so deeply that when I went in the dressing room, I really felt depressed. I'll tell you that, I'll tell you right to his face. If it's Hogan and I, if he wanted to get in a real street fight with me, trust me, he would lose, and he knew it. You know, that's the other thing. They give you the belt, and they're like, okay, you're in charge of me. I was like, what? When you mentioned a guy like Harley Race, that kind of legendary status, it's obvious why people would get upset. Or as I'm concerned, Roddy Piper was not a wrestler. He wasn't even a good worker. If he had to go out and work his way to the top and not have good friends like Jim Barnett. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he's not a good guy. He's just not a tough guy. Bro, I swear to you, I don't have an ego. Like, I don't give a crap. I, that stuff is not important to me. People don't know me. They have no idea of who I am. They know of me as being a fictional character that they saw on TV. People didn't understand that, you know, the guy they saw in the ring that happened to be using his real name and happened to actually be the president of the company, they really believed that that guy that they loved to hate was actually a pretty decent guy. And I think many people have the perception that I really was that character. Hello and welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. I'm your host, JP John Paz, and with me today is a, a very special guest. He is a top-notch wrestling critic. Now, of course, he's an author. He's a pioneer of the internet wrestling community. The one and only Phil Schneider. Phil, welcome to the two-man power trip. Thanks for having me, John. Really appreciate uh, having me on and happy to be here. Of course, the uh, the kind of the main focus, the main topic I wanted to talk about was this awesome book, The Way of the Blade, 100 of the Greatest Bloody Matches in Wrestling History. How did this all come about? I mean, this book is awesome. I mean, you got the, obviously 100 Greatest Matches, but some awesome artwork in there, awesome detail. You got a great background on all the matches, the context, good stuff. Well, I've, you know, been reviewing and writing about wrestling for a very, very, very long time, I think since... Uh, probably around 23 or 24 years at this point. I started uh, out as part of the Death Valley Driver um, review. Uh, was Dean Rasmussen that started it, but I was the sort of first uh, mate, first guy on the boat when it, he began to expand it past something he did in RSPW posts. Uh, you know, so we're talking about you know something in the 90s, and then was part of that whole uh project for many many years and and the started the message board on a on a during a temp job though i had some dead time i like set up the original green death valley driver message board at my, my uh temp job and that became a, a a thing it's still still there if anybody wants to go look at them still interested in message boards that it still exists and people are still talking about stuff on it and then um formed segunda kaida which is my blog um, along with other writers, um, you know, 2006, I think, and have been writing on that since then. And, you know, we do a post, a new post on Saguna Kaida 
every day. So there's been a new, at least one wrestling piece of wrestling writing review stuff every day in Saguna Kaida for, uh, you know, a decade plus now every day. And the blog's been around even longer than that. So I've got this, you know, this is the thing I've been doing as a hobby for so long time. And I, I kind of, uh, you know, when hybrid shoot sort of st- decided they wanted to start publishing weird Nietzsche wrestling books, I, I pitched it to John and he, uh, Snowden, who's the editor there. And he, he was into it, and um, and then I uh, wrote a book. And we've got a great artist, Chris Bryan, Australian guy, tremendous artist, and we kind of looped him in, and he, he does all the art in the book, and it really gives it sort of a unique look for something like this, I think, and, and really kind of uh, really uh, expands the whole thing. I think the book, the writing is fine. I've got some jokes. I can write about some wrestle matches, but the art is the real is the real killer app of the of the project for sure. It is awesome. It's real eye-catching. Even if you look in the pictures, like Johnny Valentine, bloody with his face, you know, that typical Johnny Valentine selling face, but just perfectly captured by Chris Bryan uh, on the artwork. Yeah, he, and then, you know, so I wrote it up, and I kind of, the way the concept, concept behind the book, it's about bloody wrestling, but the bloody wrestling is something that's kind of necessary, but not sufficient. So it's not just like I picked the 100 bloodiest wrestling matches I could find. What I did was I used blood as a starting point to talk about wrestling of all different sorts of all around the world, dog, and there's dirt on the floor and small indies. And, you know, so it's not, you know, there's there's certainly some matches out there that are incredibly bloody, but it's not like it's not just I picked, you know, I don't have like New Jack versus Matt or something like that. Right. It's like that. It's not just about gore. Yeah, you got some great matches in here just to name. One off the batch because I love it. One of my favorite feuds of all time. Ric Flair versus Terry Funk, 89. One of the greatest feuds for sure, but they bloody match over at Wrestle War, right? Uh, man. Uh, yeah, the, uh, uh, the, a great one. Just a hell of a, a match. I think the I Quit match, I think, is the more famous of those matches from that mm-hmm, sure. feud, which is also a great match, but doesn't have any blood. It's a big book. But this one might be better, and, and I think it's a little less known because it was, it was on pay-per-view and rather than on uh, free TV. So people, I, I don't know, uh, people who were watching wrestling you know, live like I was back then uh, saw the I Quit match for sure, and then you maybe had to go rent the videotape to get this one. But it's very, very good, and, and Funk and Flair are just incredible in it. And, you know, it's got a really great uh, wild no contest finish that was completely, the crowd was completely insane with Sting and Muda. It was a blast. Um, a very, a very different flair than sort of the flair a lot of us grew up on. Yeah, yeah and, I, and I love that quote you had. Angel baby face flair. Which yeah. Is your typical flair. I love that quote in the book that Funk kind of forces you to change your uh, tempo, or your pattern. He basically makes you change the formula, and he really changed it for Nate. Yeah. I Well, you know, Terry, I, I just actually uh, did a podcast relatively recently. He's talking a lot about Terry Funk. I think, he, you know, maybe more than anyone ever is the most, is the wrestler with the least formula. Like, there just isn't a Terry Funk match. The way there's a flare match or a heart match or an Elhio de Santo match or a Masawa match. And obviously all those guys do different things and there's tweaks and changes and you there you can find two Ric Flair matches that are very different from each other. But they have a thing that they do. And a lot of times what you know what makes a match interesting with those guys is the different approaches to that thing. I don't think there's a thing that Terry Funk does. 
Terry Funk and wrestle wrestles completely differently every time. You you rarely ever see him repeat sections or spots. It seems like a lot of times he just comes up with things off the top of his head. He's like an improvisational jazz genius uh, as a wrestler uh, in a way that I don't really think I can't think of anybody else that's an equivalent to that. Just, you know, there's, think, four Funk matches in this book, and he's completely different in all of them and plays different roles and is brilliant. And a, a guy that I think... You can't have a discussion of greatest wrestlers of all time and have it be legitimate if Terry Funk isn't as part of that discussion. Totally, totally agree. I actually, for John, for another project that we're working on, I was just interviewing Terry Funk last week, actually. And he was telling me that, uh, oh, everyone's going to forget him and all this other stuff. I was like, I don't know about that. I was like, you're one of the best. Like, he kind of be very humble, uh, you know, obviously in his uh, elder years here. But I just was like shocked. I'm like, now I think everybody remembers you. They steal a lot of stuff from you. And he's like, I don't know if anybody's going to remember me anymore. I said, "Eh, I doubt it. I think that you're going to be highly remembered, like you just said, one of the greats, easily. Yeah, I got to get him on my podcast. You guys got a contact number. Jesus. <laughs> that would be amazing. Uh, he, yeah. he, he would fit in. I know that. Uh, but certainly, uh, so yeah, that's a great, that's a great match. I, I, but, you know, I think the, the thing that I like the most about the book is I certainly touch on your a canon. But there's a lot of things in that this book, I think, that are matches that people have never heard of. And wrestlers that they've never heard of. And my hope is that folks who pick this up are going to be able to not only sort of revisit what they love about Terry Funk or Ric Flair, but also discover something to love about Iceberg or Black Terry or um, uh, Dr. Adolf Kaiser or these sort of much lesser known, but but, you know, brilliant in their own way characters in wrestling history, which has always been the thing that I, I think I've I'm at, probably at my best as a curator. As somebody who like goes in and finds the finds the weird and the unusual and the underseen and the underappreciated and, and shines a light on it is always the thing that I think I do best as a, as a wrestling critic. Is you know I don't have a ton to say about Raw. But, you know, like I just don't, right. don't have much to say about it. Don't usually watch it. Don't have a huge opinion of it. Uh, but you know, I'll you know I'll point out that there's a, a was a really great. Uh, Mickey Knuckles versus Akira Deathmatch in Indiana somewhere this year, where like Mickey Knuckles is incredible. You know, that's the kind of thing that I do. It's like you know, like I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna dig in, I'm gonna dig through a mile of shit to find a diamond. And there's some real diamonds in this book that are not matches that uh, I imagine uh, you've got the book. I'm sure there are a bunch of matches in there you never heard of, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was like, Adolf Kaiser, what, are they, what is going on here? It's like, this is yeah. kind of interesting. Started off like that. Cool. Uh, yeah, that's that match is a, a, a match from French Catch, the uh, French wrestling in the 1950s, which is our one of our biggest, the biggest sort of project that we've been doing over at Segunda Caída is we got our hands on the French Catch Wrestling Archives from 19, about 180 or 190 matches from about 1956 to the early 80s. And we've been, you know, have a, we've got a group of guys who have been sort of watching all of that and, and sort of, you know, writing and reviewing it and putting it on YouTube and just letting people see this whole, you know, long stretch of wrestling from a country that just, you know, that isn't, wasn't even, even pretty hardcore tape traders weren't tape trading French wrestling. Uh, and it's some of that stuff is that that matches from that. There's obviously a tremendous amount of really cool shit from that 
country. So if you, every if you if you're listening to this and that intrigues you, every Tuesday on Segunda, Tuesday night on Segunda Caída, where we put out a bunch of uh, we put out a new pair of matches usually that will show you know link them to YouTube, write about them. Uh, you know, I've got we've got an Eduardo Carpentier ma- uh, tag match this week from uh, 1950, uh, 1966. That's really really fun. Another tag match with a guy Quasimodo, who is this really you know repulsive looking Quasimodo looking dude who's a really great wrestler. Um, but yeah, that's so that's that's really fun. And the Adolf Kaiser match we mentioned in there is a really cool match with like basically that was is the television debut of a guy who's working as a Nazi German doctor in 1957 France, which is a very different thing than being a Nazi wrestler and like you know Baron von Raschke in the mid 80s in Minnesota. If you're working as a Nazi in 1957 France, there are people in the audience whose family was killed by Nazis, right? That's just, right. That, that is a that is a still very open wound. So it is a a lot of that match has a lot of heat, and he's a really compelling weirdo performer. Uh, in it too, really worth checking out. And if people <laughs> pick up the book, by the way, there's a uh, on hybrid shoots. Um, Substack, uh, maybe we'll put a link when we release this, a list of where there are links to all the matches that have links. So everything that's on YouTube, everything that's on the WWE Network, uh, etc., is linked directly there from the match. And if there's anything, there are some matches that do not have links, but that is, uh, but my DMs are open. If anybody needs to, wants to watch something that is not liked, I can, uh, I can, uh, dig it out for anybody who bought the book and wants to see one of these weird matches that isn't even available on YouTube. And there's even there are some of those. Damn, I'm gonna have to get a list from you. I wanna I wanna see some of these. Damn, this is that's awesome. Uh, I love that you have that readily available. That's great for uh, you know all us uh, crazy fans out there. Well, I mean, I mean, I just know if if I hear about something that sounds awesome and I can't watch it, it drives me crazy. Right. <laughs> so I don't want to do that to other people. You know what's great about the book, though? It's not just, like, totally random stuff. You got a bunch of Bruno matches in there, which is awesome, against Superstar, against Zabisco. You got a bunch of good Houston stuff, like Funk and Race. I mean, there's, man, the uh, it's so eclectic. It's great. I absolutely love it. Yeah, that Houston footage was one of the, for real wrestling footage nerds like me, that brief, like, eight months where they had unlocked the Houston uh, vault and were unreleasing un- all of this perfect video quality Houston footage from like the 80s and 70s and 80s was a real uh, gold mine and then the fall shut and who knows if we'll ever go open up again but it was real it was a moment for sure who owns that footage it was I know it's Bruce Stark at one point right who owns uh, that footage he sold, it, he sold the NWA and the rights to the footage to Billy Corgan and uh they have not done anything with it Wow, so Billy's that. damn it! Billy's got that footage. Damn. Billy, this, this is a this is a he's like my my nemesis. I hate him more than Courtney Love hates him at this point. Fucking <laughs> uh, help me out, brother. Damn, I you know it's so funny. I just literally a few weeks ago just interviewed him as well. I didn't know he had that library. Damn, I would have mentioned it to him. Release the fucking release the Houston footage. <laughs> Give me his number. I'll call him and bug him. Give me the, you know. There's like because there's some stuff. There's a lot of, because Bruce Stark did not release at all. I know that there are right hours and hours and hours more of it. He was kind of releasing it a little. He'd pull. I think he was kind of like pulling out a pulling out a thing, converting it, releasing it without any particular structure so you'll see things where it'll be clear that we've got you know this week 
and they had the week two weeks before it and the middle week's missing, but it's not because the middle week isn't there. It's just because the middle week hasn't been converted yet. And then you look at the card in your the middle week, and you're like, God damn it. Look at this fucking match. <laughs> you know, like, you know uh, I'm sorry. I don't know if you... Yeah, I'll go, go for it. Yeah. Profanity on your podcast. But you know, like, you'll, you'll see, like, the... You'll get the two set-up matches, but not the blow-off. But, you know, the blow-off is out there. And, uh, you know, there's we have the race... Funk match, which you mentioned in the book, but you know that around that time, same time in Houston, they had like a like a three match series, and we have one of them, and I imagine the other two are sitting there too. And the, so obviously, the one we have is one of the maybe the best NWA title match that exists on tape. I think it's an argument that it is the absolute greatest NWA title match that we show on tape. And you figure there's no reason to think the other two aren't approaching it in quality right I mean, there's no reason yep. you don't necessarily think that this is the one that randomly got uploaded was the best one the other two aren't as good i'm sure the other two are incredible too so one of my I, uh i was gonna say yeah one of my just absolutely uh not like ocd things but when when footage is out there available it's like all right who owns it can you can you get it out there is it available like where is it like, a little bit of ocd like uh when Memphis released all that stuff. It's like, okay, who owns the Memphis stuff? Who who who's really owns it? Who's releasing it? Did they lose tapes? What what happened here? You know what I mean? That always bothers me. Yeah. Well, there I go. Good. I put the Houston bug in your ear. My goal is to put that bug in as many ears as I can until it cuts out. Because <laughs> yeah, they're like really good, like Harley Race matches, and there's like a ton of stuff that they could easily put out that people would be interested in. I think Harley Race, Flair, uh, you know, Von Erichs, the. Terry, oh. Dory, there's an Andre, apparently, yeah. Andre, apparently there's an El Santo match on there, and there we just there there aren't any really any El Santo matches outside of clips from movies that exist, but apparently there's an El Santo match as part of that footage. Not El Santo, El Santo. Uh, the, the, the the saint, not the son of the saint. So uh, I think you make a ton of money off of that. I don't know a ton of money. Big, big people. Yeah. I don't like. He's, he's like, making nice. We are talking about a. We are talking about a pretty, pretty niche. Uh, a, I don't know. I think he'd make some money people though. Really right? excited about it. The people that would be excited about it would be very excited about it. Hey, it might be a niche audience, but I think he'd make some money off of it. There you go. Let's let's. Billy, call me. Yes. Please. Um. Yeah. So and also so in addition to the book, I've you know I've also started doing a podcast as well. Yes, the Way of the Blade podcast. Yes, podcast released uh, half a dozen of those. I started releasing them around the time that the book came out. Where the basic idea is that I'm going to talk about one of these matches, sort of in depth with a person, and do and you know go ahead and record a hundred of them over the course of the next couple of years is my my uh, lofty goal. Um, and so I've got so I've had some fun fun guests on that already and. Hopefully, have some. Uh, I've got some uh, fun ones recorded, and you know, got some uh, fingers in different pots to hopefully get some more uh, people lined up for that. But you know, just very kind of, you know, forty-five minute hour podcast, so nothing, nothing that's going to take an incredible amount of your time. And we kind of just dig into dig into the match and, and talk about you know what we appreciated about it and the history of it, and go off into some fun tangents about other things too. Um, so I really enjoyed doing that. I've done, uh, I've appeared on a lot of podcasts over the years, and uh, but uh, this is the first real time that I've like really done my own one and, and been learned how to edit it, do all the things you have to do to actually put one out, as opposed to just tagging along on somebody else's project. 
I feel I feel like the uh, the June seventeenth episode a few weeks ago when you're discussing Flair versus DiBiase is going to get a lot of uh, pub though, right? With uh, Tony Khan of all yeah. people joining you to uh, old, talk uh, about it. Old Death Valley Driver uh, message board stalwart Tony Khan uh, and me chatted for it was a good hour, a good long one. Too. It was the longest one I've recorded. Hour twenty about that and about sort of you know the idea of wrestling television because that match the the Flair DiBiase match is in my opinion, the greatest episode of wrestling television of all time. So the idea of talking about him, talking to him about that, is the idea of, well, a guy who's, this is what he does now. He makes wrestling television. So how the idea of how, you know, what he thinks about this match or what he thinks about makes good wrestling television, it's pretty, yeah, it's a good, it's a cool conversation. I think he t- talked a fair amount about, you know, AEW as well within the context of what we were talking about. And um, Cody versus Dustin is in the book from Double or Nothing a couple of years ago. I mean, that's a pretty damn good bloody match. Cody versus Dustin is in the book. It is a really good match. It, uh, I didn't want to talk to him about that though. I figured that would be too on the nose. I'd rather get. I'd rather get. I wanted to get into some old stuff with him rather than necessarily, you know, talk about his thing. Maybe I'll try to get Cody or Dustin to talk about that one. But yeah, that's a great match. Uh, I, I'm an enormous Dustin fan. That's the next book project. Is is a is a, an entire book on him. Uh, and it's similar style. Uh, so and it was really, it's really cool that he's had this sort of final, you know, assumingly final act to his career. He's getting pretty old, but like where he's had a chance to really, you know, be a featured part of TV again, uh, you know, 30 years after he was a featured part of, you know, some of the best stuff ever, the 90s and WCW. Oh, big time. And I Definitely want to go back to the way of the blade, but I want to stick on Dustin for a second because the Death Valley driver board, and I brought this up to John Snowden a while ago and then kind of brought it up again, and he said, oh, we're actually going to do a Dustin book because I said, I remember Phil specifically from that board because some wise ass was saying how great Triple H was. I don't remember who it was, but he was being wise ass. He said, well, Dustin Rhodes is a lot better, and then he kind of – uh, if I remember correctly, maybe I kind of made this up in my head, but the way I remember it is this guy was kind of being a wise ass, and you were like, well, I can prove Dustin is better. I'm going to do a Dustin of the day, and I'd show, basically show how good Dustin Rhodes was. So I would always follow along, be like, oh, Dustin Rhodes versus the Barbarian from WWE Pro, or you know, whatever it was. And I was like, man, I love Dustin. He's so good, and I love that Phil was kind of uh, sticking up for Dustin and proving his point, how great Dustin was. Yep. So that's the best book, is that Dustin of the day. So we found... We were not able to find all of them, unfortunately. We found oh. a handful of them. Okay. And so those are going to be sort of, you know, polished up and put in the book. And then myself and Tom Carroll Gosner, who is the other person who is part of that project, uh, are going to write a bunch new of new reviews. We're going to have Chris do the art. And it's going to be like a sort of a tribute to one of the goofier wrestling message board threads of, of, uh, of you know, of the uh, in wrestling message board history, but also just it'll be a cool book, uh, you know, that talks a lot about, you know, really digs deep into one wrestler and uses him as a springboard to talk about a lot of other great things, too. And we'll probably we're going to do some gold dust and some later stuff, too. The original dust of the day was all just like 1991 to 1995. <laughs> we really we really kept it. Uh, we really kept it pretty narrow cast when we did it originally. But I think we're going to expand and talk a little about, about gold dust, a little about, you know, probably do you know, either uh, since I wrote on Cody and Dustin in this book, I'll bet Tom will probably write on it in the other book um, as well. But yeah, that's I'm really, really looking forward to d- returning to sort of an original, a piece of original uh, 
the original sin of Segunda Kaida in a lot of ways, the dust of the day threads for that next book. Uh, Cause I had so much fun writing about this and, you know, a lot of fun promoting it and doing stuff for it. So I figure I might as well write another book. Uh, and so we're getting that we're, we're in the process of sort of organizing that and starting to write and starting to sort of figure it out. So, you know, still a ways away to obviously get into people's hands, but that's the next project. Hey, but I'm remembering after all these years, and I'm thinking, hey, Dustin of the Day, I remember that, and thinking about it. So it could have been that bad. I mean, no, it's got to be great, right? Totally at least there's a couple, you know, yeah. a handful of other people who also remember it fondly, uh, fondly enough to buy a book about it. We'll see. This one, I think, you know, this is digging a little into the niche, more of a niche thing than the the way of the blade, but, you know, I'm, it's always going to be a little weird with me. That's kind of my, my uh, vibe, for sure. Did I get the story right, though, the, the wise yeah, answer Triple H? Okay. I mean, I, you know, yeah, it was a long time ago. Something along those lines, somebody talking about Helmsley and me sort of smart-assingly saying that I could name, you know, 100 Dustin Rhodes matches better than Helmsley's best match, I think was the line, which, you know, we didn't – I don't know how – that was the impetus for it. It kind of just turned to us writing about Dustin Rhodes. I don't know that every match we pick was better than the absolute best Helmsley match. And this book's not going to have anything to do with Helmsley. I, I'm at, you know, at a different point in my life when it comes to uh, writing and considering this. I'm, you know, there was a point where I would do, you know, Death Valley Driver, Thunder, work rate reports, and would spend a bunch of time shitting on things. And, you know, like have, you know, I was, you know, I, I had a, I thought a relatively funny post about the first ever Bischoff, uh, Russo double nitro, where I spent, I don't know, reams of writing just tearing into that thing. And I just am much less interested in reviewing things I don't like anymore. So I'm not going to talk a lot about Helmsley. He's not somebody I care for, and I'm going to just leave it at that and instead talk a lot about things that I think are cool because I would much rather do that now than, than talk about things I don't like, uh, which, you know, I think is a good instinct for other people who are writing about this. I think there are a lot of people who, you know, spend most, a lot of their energy talking about wrestling, talking about how much they hate this or hate that. And you know, at some point, it's just like, man, just find some stuff you like. Talk about that. There's some value into in pointing out cool stuff as opposed to just talking, you know, complaining hours every week about how terrible raw is. Do you think Dustin somehow, some way was underrated? I think certainly at the, yeah, for sure. Cause I think he, I think a lot of, there was, uh, you know, putting myself in the mindset of wrestling fans back then, there were a lot of people who thought that, you know, had a lot of dusty, uh, residual dusty hate, which again, something I don't, I mean, I think Dusty's incredible and would watch Dusty, a, a tape of Dusty Rhodes matches and promos, you know, over a lot of other things. But I think a lot of people saw him as just like, you know, the, the you know, kid who who's getting a push because of his last name uh, for a while. And I think some of that dissipated, but I never think he got the credit for being as good as he was. I think some of that was just the, the you know, it was the same thing you see with people talking about Greg Gagne, too who was a great wrestler and had a lot of great matches. And a lot of people think he's, you know, was a bum only got there because of the last name. That's uh, funny too, because Dustin was like, a, no offense. Cause I, I absolutely love Dusty, but Dustin was a hell of a lot better in the ring than Dusty was. It was funny. Like people don't see that, I guess, for some weird reason. Yeah. I, you know, he certainly, yes, he's incredible in the ring and I don't want him to write a whole book about how great he was. Dusty was pretty goddamn good too. And there isn't, yep. there is a difference between, you know, there, there's a, difference between knowing how to 
being a compelling, having a compelling wrestling match and necessarily applying a ton of holds, right? So Dusty, mm-hmm. I think, yep. had certainly was somebody who, and you know, I think I, so you know, I started watching wrestling in uh, like '86 or '87, and you know, Dusty at that point was sort of near the tail end of his career, um, right, as an active wrestler. I mean, he wrestled for a long time, you know, sporadically, but he dropped until you know the mid two thousands. Um, but you know, as far as like everyday wrestlers near the end and slowed down a bit and gained a bit of weight. And I think so a lot of the Dusty Rhodes matches that people see, and he was, you know, was Dusty in sort of the you know, in the in post prime or very end of his prime. And but younger Dusty was a lot more had a lot more like work rate. Not that, that you know, I don't put a ton of stock into that as necessarily what makes me wrestle, but he, he is somebody who could move a lot faster when he was, you know, in the early eighties and the seventies and stuff we have of that than we had if you saw him, you know, working flair in 80, 87 or something like that. But then again, you know, man, the dusty, the, we, the goddamn dusty was incredible in that war games match that I wrote about in this book. I mean, he's just so good. And, and if you looked at that, it's just like, well, I mean, was Dustin better than dusty was in that match, man. I don't know whether there are a lot of people that have ever been as good as dusty was in that match. To me, you know, speaking of war games, uh, my favorite, and call me crazy, and it's in the book, Sting Squadron versus the Dangerous Lions. I absolutely, I don't know, I love that freaking match. Obviously, the blood is, is a plenty, and it's flowing, but always love that match. And, hey, Sting, he's got a couple five-star matches. I love it. Yeah, Sting's got, Sting's in there a couple times. Sting's good. Uh, I think he was, like, another guy's probably underrated. Uh, a lot of great timing, uh, you know, as far as, and that's, that, that, you do a lot with great timing. But you know, he's a guy who always knew, he seemed to know the exact right time to to shift momentum or, or, or do something. And, you know, like an oppressive spot wrestler, too. I mean, I don't, they got some spots, man. That guy, especially for the time, it's very athletic. And so I don't, you know, he was another guy I think, I think probably people uh, underrate a little bit. I mean, you know, his, I mean, weirdly, his, Obviously, the peak of his career from a popularity standpoint was during a time where he never actually wrestled, right? I mean, it was the right. hanging out in the rafters NWO period. He didn't have any matches for a year. So it's like I, could, I kind of understand why his like, in-ring rep might be a little uh, – a little. and when he came back, I think he – I mean, I don't – there wasn't a ton of great crow sting matches, uh, really. You know, that was sort of not the point where he was uh, peak as a worker, but, you know – Sting Vader strap match we have in the books. Yes, I was going to mention that. One of my favorite matches of all time. Yeah, that match is excellent. Um, So, yeah, we've got four. There are four War Games matches in the book. Um, So two ones that everybody has seen and two ones that aren't anybody's seen. So, uh, but I think they're all of equivalent quality. So you, uh, I, folks have not, you know, obviously if you haven't seen the Sting Squadron match from, you know, you know that's incredible and you should rectify that. But if you haven't seen uh, NWA Anarchy, uh, NWA Anarchy versus uh, the Devil's Rejects from NWA Anarchy in 2006, you should also rectify that because that match is incredible and maybe and maybe as good. I think I, you know, I go back and forth on which one of those matches I like better. Um, so if you're a war games guy, you should also, even though I, I imagine you're not super familiar with a lot of the names in that match that uh, you don't need, really need to be, uh, to, uh, to appreciate it. It is very, very good. Um, I don't know how much have you ever seen any iceberg? 
Now, I'm trying to remember. He's the the big guy, right? I mean, the, the big boy. Jeez. Yes. Very, very, very big. The small, iceberg, yes. We got smaller much when he uh, sort of near the end of his in-ring career. He was maybe not small, but he's three so four, three forty as opposed to like five hundred pounds. Saw him in a couple uh, ROH matches when he right. was uh, pretty he was, big. Yeah, yeah. He was. You know, that was the oh, his period when he was in ROH. He was he was very big. That was not the that was not the uh, your iceberg. Where if you're gonna pre- see and appreciate iceberg, his brief run at ROH is not the showcase right. for what yep. he could do. But he was like this guy, you know, this guy, he was, story was, he was, the legend is uh, that he was uh, a customer at Abdul the Butcher's restaurant, like a regular at Abdul the Butcher's Chinese uh, food and barbecue restaurant in Atlanta. Really? And, <laughs> That's great. Uh, he said, hey, you should wrestle. <laughs> sure. A fucking giant human being. We, you should wrestle. And then Abby helped get, you know, get him trained and mentored him in his career. And he was a guy who basically was for a lot of it was sort of an Abdullah, the butcher style, you know, crazy giant, scary, violent monster, but also like an absolutely spectacular bumper for a guy who was, Build at 500 pounds and probably legitimately 400 pounds. But, you know, and, and somebody knew how to do it, too. It wasn't like a guy who was flying around the ring at every punch, but, you know, would take superplexes and just like, you know, just like incredible bumper and a really, really terrifying guy. And he's part of this group called the Devil's Rejects, who are this group of sort of, you know, wild, satanic hillbillies who are in a couple of war games matches in my book, along with Tank who's another giant guy who's actually having a bit of a sort of return to wrestling recently and has been sort of showcased on a lot of uh, independent shows recently. Like, you know, had a big weekend this weekend in New Jersey, had a bunch of, like, sort of uh, well-received death matches. But, like, um, them and a couple of other wrestlers, uh, Asriel and Sean Tempers of this group, the Devil's Rejects, who are one of my favorite heel groups of all time, and they have the two really, really cool uh, war games matches in this book, one of which is a heel versus heel war games match, which is them against another group of uh, heels in sort of a, you know, the only people who can take out this group of lunatics is a group of either even bigger lunatics, which is always heel versus heel stuff. It's something I've always really dug in wrestling. I, you know, Freebirds, uh, Devastation Incorporated or Shield Wyatt family started out like that. This is a really cool example of heel versus heel wrestling. So folks are that's like one of the matches in here that I don't think hardly anyone's seen. That 2007 heel versus heel one. That was I had to like I had to like search for that match to even find a copy of it. Like it wasn't something that was online, and I had to like find somebody who had it on a DVD and convince them to burn it for me, and you know the whole thing. So not super available, but really really cool. Um, and we did I did two really fun podcasts with uh, uh, Reverend Dan Wilson, who was the manager of the Devil's Rejects, and then Jeff G Bailey and Reverend Dan Wilson, who were the co heel managers in that heel versus heel war games. But I like talking that stuff up, man, because that's like some of the coolest shit that nobody's seen. Yeah, definitely. Now I got to see that. Damn. Now there's another match in there that I think is awesome, but it's technically not War Games. But I always considered it to be War Games. I was there for it live and in color. It was Cage of Death, CZW versus ROH from uh, 2006. Man, uh, talk about Gabe putting on his uh, booking hat that day. 
most uh, well-executed booking matches I've seen, especially when you have the the Joe thing where he can't really wrestle. How do you get, get him out of the match? Because he's in TNA, which people like guess maybe didn't know or didn't know. Then you had the whole CCW thing, but then also how do you how do you make Homicide look good? How do you make Danielson look like he doesn't give a shit? I mean, it was such a well-done match, besides all the blood and, and the craziness and, and the awesome, um, just barbaric nature of the match. It's just really well-booked by Gabe. Yeah, it's a match that shouldn't have worked. Mm-hmm. I think, really. I mean, it has a lot of the things in it that on paper look bad, right? Where you have like all of these heel turns and, you know, the middle of a match. And, you know, it's like a lot of times just matches like that, just like the booker, just get out of, get off the screen, booker. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah. you see matches like that, it's like, I know you need to do, you know, you need to do three heel turns and a run in and a ref, you know, it's just like at some point just stop, you get off the screen. It's like, you know, uh, uh, the old, uh, the old uh, thing, what is it, uh, Suge Knight said about during the East Coast, West Coast feud, Death Row, if you want to have videos where the you don't have your producer and shiny pants dancing in your videos, come to Death Row. Sometimes in these booking matches, like the bookers in shiny pants dancing in the middle of the smash. I wish, you know what I mean? And I think, so this was a match where there was just so much booking, but it really, every little part of it worked out in a way that just, you know, talk about a high, a, a tightrope act. Right, any little thing could have, you know, skunked to this, but it really did. Uh, uh, really was great. And a lot of like really, really great performances by guys who, you know, saw we had an opportunity to get on a bigger stage and wanted to take advantage of it. Nate Webb, for mm-hmm. a guy yep. who was a cult figure, a guy I loved for many years. I was a big IW Mid South fan and a bunch of IW Mid South matches in the book. He's great dancer too. Great dancer. Really fun. <laughs> character fun like you know niche guy and this was his his sort of shining moment as a career moment in a lot of ways and you know necro butcher same thing as a chance mm-hmm. to try to break out as into a a bigger stage and he was really great at it chris hero was a guy who tried to was trying to sort of uh you know break and onto bigger stages as well and he was you know tremendous in that but yeah very cool match love the match so many twists and turns. There's another match I was at live, and according to the book, you were there as well. Carino, Homicide, Bitter Friends, Stiffer Enemies. Probably should have been the main event that night. Me and my buddy, we still say, why the hell wasn't that in the main event? But whatever, we digress. That match is so freaking good. I love that match. Might be my favorite match, which is crazy, because there's so many of them I could say are my favorites in this book, but it's got to be top five that you yeah, listed in the book. Oh, so good. Yeah, it was me and uh, my buddy Tom, Pierre Grassroom, right in the... Uh, Dustin Bookwith is we drove from DC to it was in Connecticut. And yes. It's like it seemed like I don't know. I don't know 72 hour drive, 140 hours. It's like the longest drive in the world to the show. We just driving and driving and driving and driving. And uh, at one point we decided that it would be a good idea to eat alligator jerky at like a breast stop and that our stomachs were all screwed. It was like a long trek to the show. And uh for an otherwise, like, I don't think there was anything else on that card that was particularly good. I, go, I remember it being not a great ROH show. Because the other, right, that you're talking about, why it wasn't the main event? The main event was low-key Dan Moff, which should have been really good. But, but it gets knocked out. It gets knocked out, right? So, you know, it's, stuff happens. Uh, but I, mean, I, mean, I would imagine that that match certainly had the possibility of being worthy of a main event slot. Both those guys really good, and obviously with a ton of history with each other. 
um, and, and you know worked well against each other, but things happen. But yeah, yeah. Combat Korea is so great. The the uh, Bobby Cruz do uh, introduce doing the the uh, ring announcing for Corito where he does like and uh, announces every single tiny re- regional indie wrestling promotion title he's held. So good. Minutes, stops, so takes good. Takes a drink of water. While meanwhile, <laughs> like you know, and I, I have, was have always have been and am still a a giant uh, J Train Julius Devil Son in Law Julius Smokes fan. Who I think is one of the great seconds in wrestling. Is I don't I completely don't understand why he is not being used somewhere. It's not like you know you age out of that particular thing but it's so great as bundini brown hype man for homicide in that in that match is incredible in that you know cruz is incredible uh yeah guillotine legrand was hit ringside for that he's really mm-hmm. good i mean it's one of those matches where everybody playing their role is great and then you have the whole the thing that homicide uh did as well as anybody where he just would go right up to the edge of what the fuck is going on you know the homicide was so great at having these matches that were right on the precipice of seeming like they were going to go out of control, uh, where you weren't sure what he was going to do. I, I, the Teddy Hart series in JPW was like that. He had a Trent Acid match like that, and then this match I think is the the pinnacle of it, where it's like I don't know, Homicide doesn't feel like he's cooperating. He doesn't feel like he's in, in on the same page as the guy he's in the ring with, and it's very dangerous. Like if for a guy who was you know five foot five or something like that, that was a guy. That's a guy who could convey menace about as good as anyone ever, uh, without having to be big at all. But a scary dude and was very scary in that match and and you know in a ton of blood. Yeah, love it. Love those guys. Corito's great too. Oh, unbelievable. The whole presentation that night was awesome. And I, I love that gimmick when he was doing that with Bobby Cruz and he would be like, guys that Carino has drank with. And he'd be like, uh, Tyler Fullington. Yeah. He would just start met- naming everybody. Just a great gimmick. But uh, also homicide slapped the shit out of him that night. Yeah. That's the, sort of right in the eardrum and popped his eardrum. Apparently out of, you know, it's wrestling. So <laughs> who knows what, who knows what the actual story of that, of that was, but it certainly, you certainly, when you heard it in the arena, if you were there live too, you're like, oh my, that didn't sound good. Oh, it sounded like a gun went off. It was yeah. so loud. Yeah, that's a, that's a killer. I don't know whether that's a match that is, has, you know, like remained in people's memory uh, from that time period. I know it was a match that certainly around the time it happened had a lot of acclaim, uh, but I don't know how well that's. You know, that's something people who are started wrestling, watching wrestling after ROH or weren't into that are aware of. But, man, it is good. And uh, just a great uh, career performance from both of those guys who are guys who had really great careers. Somebody on Crazy Max made the anatomy of a feud and they put all that feud together. It was awesome. I got to see if I can find that somewhere. It was really, really well done. Whoever put it together. I've seen Iceberg, too. He was he was brought in as part of. Korea's yeah. team. Yes. And, uh, I was live yep. at that show. I don't know if you were at that show, the one that had the uh, the just the sort of all over the arena street fight between uh, between. Is that Cole, Murphy Wreck? Murphy Wreck. Yeah, it was uh, uh, homicide. It was homicide's like doghouse group of JAPW guys, um, and then Corito, but Corito wasn't in the match. Um, it was like, but it was like Corino's group, but not Corino. I think was in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, it was ruled. Dusty Rhodes was in it too. 
um, was yeah. in the past. Speaking of Dusty Rhodes, it's all kind of coming together. Iceberg, Dusty Rhodes, Homicide, Carino, it was all together in this match. That's a match that I could have made the book. Uh, and maybe I'll make a sequel. Uh, but that was a really great, uh, like just completely wild. It was at the, uh, it was the same show that had, uh, I'm pretty sure that Paul London American Dragon, which is one of the first big like work rate classics in ROH, and the kind of match that made Paul London kind of got his career uh, rolling. The Epic Encounter, the great epic show. Encounter, yeah, yeah, that was a, that was a great show. Those were two two really really great matches that were very different on that show. I, was, I went to, I, you know, wasn't an, an every show regular in the early days of ROH, but went to a fair number of them because I was in DC, which is not far from Philly, so would uh, went to you know a, a, quite a few of those early early ROH shows and a bunch of you know similarly a bunch of kind of JPW shows before that and then around the same time um was like you know i was in my 20s i didn't wasn't a wife didn't have any kids just, you know i could just go borrow a car find somebody in a car and go to drive to philly on a weekend no problem and to watch wrestling uh not something i could do anymore i'm in denver now anyway which is not a weirdly a lucha libre hub but not an indie wrestling hub yeah, man, me and my buddies, we used to go more OH shows than I can remember. And I'm from Jersey, so doing the Philly thing was easy. I hated to drive to Connecticut because it's a hellhole and a, to get to it, so traffic sucks. I was like, please don't run Fairfield, Connecticut anymore. I love the, the the match, but come on. I was like, yeah, it sucks. I rather, I love when they used to run Philly. Uh, the New Yorker in New York is fine. Um, but I, I don't know. I just the Rexplex was awesome, but I just hated uh, Connecticut. Yeah, it was the only time we ever did Connecticut. <laughs> we only did Connecticut, only did Connecticut the once, and that was just like, oh, this is amazing. But I'm not coming all the way if I got to Connecticut again. <laughs> Speaking of uh, Connecticut, WWF, I wanted to mention this: Piper Bret Hart WrestleMania Eight is in the book. Love that match. Sure, great match. I like I said, I tried to keep your your famous matches to a minimum, to a right or a part of it. Uh, but yeah, that's a classic and, you know, great kind of a cool story with Piper, you know, being having that such a close relationship with the Hart family and seeing this as his opportunity to try to make Brett, you know, as his career, basically in rig career uh, was ending. You know, he had the run in WCW after this, but this is pretty much the end of his time as, a, as an active wrestler before that sort of WCW run in the 90s. And the idea kind of behind it that was Brett was wanting to say, okay, I want to, uh, Piper wanted to say, I want to try to be the guy that pushes Brett to a, you know, past that intercontinental sort of ceiling, which is a ceiling that kind of was a ceiling for a lot of times in the 80s and 90s and the 70s and WWF, right? That was a, that was where Tito Santana was, but Tito Santana was not going to get past that, right? Right and uh, and and Piper, you know, Piper obviously was past that. Piper main evented WrestleMania one, and the, you know the uh, and it was the huge star and uh, of the that whole rock and wrestling era before that. And he saw this as his chance to say, you know, put over Hart at the way out, and hopefully, you know. And then I think that was probably was the match that allowed Bret Hart to get the world title a year later and become a you know a real top guy in wrestling and push himself past that sort of, like I said, that the Santana, Ricky Steamboat, Greg Valentine, you know, IC title level. Cause you know, back then now everybody gets a world title 
you're out long enough in the uh, in WWF, you're going to get a world title, right? Kofi Kingston got one. Yeah. Ziggler's four-time champion, Miz. I mean, if you're there long enough, you know, you're, you're eventually going to get it. Although, I don't know how that works now. They have like 285 guys on the roster, maybe not now. But there is a thing where there wasn't, it was much more stratified, you know, back in the 80s and 90s. Uh, you know, you there were levels and it was very hard to get up to that next level. And so Piper had that idea, well, this is, let me see if I can do it for him. And kind of really did it. And kind of a very cool story with, you know, being these guys, both these guys, baby faces now, but primarily heels for most of their career. And the different ways that they would sort of stretch the rules was really cool. You know, a little both guys are guys who know how to bend the rules without breaking them. And they, you know, and Hart was much more calculating and Piper would lose his cool. Uh, and it was a very cool, a very neat uh, sort of way that. And then obviously one of the famous, I think this was another famous like uh, Bret Hart sneak blade jobs where he would do this all the time. Uh, uh, you know, break the rules about blood and, uh, and dare Vince to fire him or, uh, or punish him. You know, like, I think that was like a heartbreak art thing. It was like, oh, you know, look, I, I, I caught myself on the outside of the ring. Looks just like a blade job. Isn't that weird? <laughs> look, I just stare Vince down. You think he did that a bunch of times? This is one of them. Yeah. Yep. Davey Boy in uh, December of 95 and In Your House did it then. Snuck with uh, Steve Austin at WrestleMania. Yeah, he was he was the master of uh, kind of doing that in the camera, not catching him. Kevin, Kevin, and, and, and then claiming ignorance when they imagine they got yelled at in the back for we don't do blood and spread. It's like, yeah, I don't know. You know, things happen. It's a physical sport. <laughs> that was always very funny. Um, you know, like obviously the uh, the king of the road match, that was the thing that, going back to Dust a little bit, the thing that got them him fired mm-hmm. was yep. uh, blading and that uh, – in that maniacal match, that match is in the book. I have a lot of time for that match. I think that was a thing that uh, people has a reputation as being a being this dumb, goofy thing, but it's actually you. I don't know if you well, last time you watched that was that match is incredible. Uh, for, uh, you know the spectacle of it and the the just absolute insane danger of that match uh, makes it really compelling. I mean, there are multiple times in that match where if Dustin Rhodes takes a you know a bump to the left he's getting run over by a truck and you know falling off a truck and getting hit by another truck and dying and there yeah. times were like Darso was like teeter tottering on the side of a, this truck like you know, like we're just like there's not there's no harness or anything right I mean he just he falls he's gonna die and it just doesn't still gonna like take you know there's a couple spots where he takes like you know they're they're uh, straddling a chicken wire cage and he's you know getting punched and teetering over to the side you're like holy hell what are you doing man i love that match call me crazy i love that match match. they do a lot of like stuff here they do running bulldogs and they're in the back of like a you know moving truck with like a straw and shit on the floor we're just like i don't understand how you just you know, shred your ACL trying to execute a running, you know, complicated running wrestling move on a moving truck with like slippery ass straw underneath you. <laughs> completely, completely, these two guys just completely killing each other over this, you know, middle, this absolute, you know, nadir of wrestling that was that period of WCW. I mean, that was, that was about as, there, there's a, if you had to list a handful of like the five worst periods in professional wrestling, 
American professional, mainstream professional wrestling, that period of WCW has got to be up there. That post Hogan coming in pre Nitro period is just just the shits, like just so bad. <laughs> Especially considering how great WCW was right before Hogan came in, uh, where they went from like Steamboat Flair and uh, you know the Stud Stable versus the Rhodes Family feuds to the Renegade and uh, and uh, the uh, Toggy Talk Band and the Booty Master and just all that stuff. <laughs> so awful. The only thing that was good was like Savage Flair kind of had a did their little rivalry. That was the only thing to kind of hang your head on. Yeah, well, this is like that. Yeah, the, that was a little later. I mean, I, I think that there was that one period, like your your period around right the, the the King of the Road matches, even before that Savage Flair, where it really was just you know Hogan and the Dungeon of Doom and that kind of stuff, where it was like you didn't even have it. Savage, Savage Flair. I thought was sort of Nitro around the start of Nitro, wasn't it? Or am I wrong about that? Like, no, it actually it it starts uh, early '95 and it goes all the way to '96, almost to '97. Like it, it kind of well, really till '96 until the NWO arrives. But it's basically one full year plus of them feuding. It's crazy how long the feud is. No, yeah, I, I don't. I, I'm trying to. I'll have to revisit some of that. I remember liking some of that. that was obviously such. A, it was kind of so depressing to be a WCW fan at that point because it just really just fell off a cliff. So so precipitous. That was a, that was a rough time for American wrestling because uh, it was just like nothing was good, right? That you know you. One of the reasons I think ECW was able to jump out of it was because, man, look, it was it was grim uh, in the other parts of the uh, other parts of America. Right? W, that was right in the middle of, uh, you know, Mabel. King Mabel, yeah. King Mabel stuff. And, and you know, which and I, kiss I, my foot match and everything else. Yeah. yeah and I mean, I have some time for I don't I kind of like I kind of I, I'll, I'll kind of I'll say some nice things about Mabel as a wrestler. But actually, I'm, I, I have some, a little bit of time for him, but. That was a rough. That was not something that there was not there was nothing at any point to, in either of those promotions where you could really hang your hat on. Coming off of a period where there was a lot of good stuff in the early nineties. Um, that's an interesting question, right? If you think about like what are the absolute where your toilet periods? Um, I think your your all your Russo WCW would be the lowest. I've never hated wrestling more than I hated that. What about right now, current wrestling? I just don't really watch it, I guess. Oh, <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. There's some, there's some, you know, there's the, there's some fun stuff and some fun uh, NXT UK matches. I mean, the WWF puts out so much shit, stuff, and they have some talented wrestlers. And you know, if you kind of are able to pick and choose a little bit what you watch, there's some good stuff out there. I don't, actually, I don't, Roman I Reigns is actually he's been pretty good, and and when Dana Bryan was around. Yeah, and, you know, and they, they, Drew Gulak's having some fun matches on WWE main event. <laughs> so it's like you know they got enough guys you know they've got into such a huge roster and then they're it's almost a little like wcw in the 90s where you could have just you know you know so much cool shit in the margins right or yeah like the, the, the main show is hard to watch but you know it was a, fuck there's an l l dandy versus dave taylor match on wcw pro they got like six minutes it was really good so did a little current, current WWE is a little like that. I buddy Eric who writes for the blog with me, he watches a lot more of it than I does, but he he finds some stuff where he's like, hey Phil, I think you'd really like this this NXT UK match with three guys, four guys you've never heard of, but if they go about seven minutes, they do some stuff and hit pretty hard. It's pretty good. So hey, Walter's uh, pretty good. He's got some good matches out there. Good, but there's also, like I said, there's some there's some like 
there's some deep cuts, man. Mika Satamara is in this promotion, weirdly, right? Like, I don't know how many people are aware that Mika Satamara. Yeah, why is she there? Yeah. <laughs> oh, why not? But, I mean, you know, she's an all-time great wrestler, right? One of the, you know, one of, like, a legitimate, you know, first ballot Hall of Fame work rate wrestler. And she's in, you know, cuts of guests. She's on WWE TV. It's, it's not their top show or the third show or the fourth show, but she's there. And so there's some stuff. So I wouldn't say, I couldn't say that right now is as bad uh, just because I, I think there's enough in the margin stuff. And, you know, you, you uh, I, I liked, I, I thought uh, the uh, Bianca Belair versus Sasha Banks. Um, it's one of the three or four best matches I've seen all year. That was a WrestleMania match. So, you know, I got I got I got to give them some credit for that, right? Made event WrestleMania with two uh, two women and the women of color yep. and they put on a match of, of that quality. That, that was good, that was good shit. So there's some stuff. I mean, my our, our you know, our our matches of the year list, we do an ongoing one on Sagutakaida. It's always got some real some real weirdo selections in there, but that's deep cuts. Deep cuts. That's currently sitting on the top of our list, although is only there until my I, uh, my buddy Eric watches uh, watches Black Terry versus Ricky Marvin from Coliseo Kalahaka, uh Lucha memes for a couple months ago, which is gonna gonna take the top spot with a bullet when he watches that. But right now, you know, the top main event matches of WrestleMania WWF matches is normally the way it works for our our uh, our, uh, our lists. Um, by the way, you should watch Ricky Marvin versus Black Terry. Uh, from April uh, this year in Lucha Beams uh, is an incredible match. And Black Terry is is uh, is almost 70 and still uh, one of the, the great brawlers in current wrestling for a guy who's 68 years old is still going to put on. is still like an incredible brawler and has like an, an absolute hellfire match with Ricky Marvin uh, in Mexico this year. For people who are looking for some deep cuts. Yeah, I love me some Ricky Marvin. I went to ROH like nine years ago thinking like, oh, this is really cool. He's returned. Very small crowd. He fought Davey Richards. Good match, but it was just funny. It's like, I guess I was the only one excited about this return for Ricky Marvin randomly, you know, nine years ago in Philly. Yeah, Ricky Marvin's having a real resurgence. I don't know how how, how deep you are into the, into, the, into the tiny Lucha Indies, but he's a guy who's kind of gotten a little fat, uh, and uh, that's always a good thing for Luchadors to put on a little weight. And is really like uh, turned into like a real master ring technician who could do a lot of different things. Still does some pretty cool high spots, but older and a little fatter high spots, which are always you know, you know, maybe not as much hype but a little more weight behind his ties, which is always yep. cool. And is you know like a real really cool brawler ring. I mean, just one of the better guys in the world for a guy that people who remember him remember him from 15 years ago and don't really think about him now but he's a guy who kind of has aged into himself in a really impressive way um uh but yeah he had the black terry who there's a, a couple of black terry matches in this book i could have easily put i could have easily done a book with it matches of that. but uh um he is he's still cooking along it in his you know late 60s which is truly insane i mean uh Terry gets hit. The, the is truly shocking for a man that old. Like Baba had some pretty good matches in his, you know, when he was in his fifties. But you know, Kawada wasn't kicking Baba as hard as he was kicking Stan Hansen. But uh, Ricky Marvin is kicking 
black carry as hard as kicking would kick anyone else, which is pretty crazy. I love it, though. I love it. You got, hey, you're still in there. You got to, uh, got to take a beat. Yeah, you got to earn your earn your keep. That's the great. I mean, that's one of the great, cool cool things about lucha, man. Those guys go a long time. A lot of times they don't hit their stride until you know a normal wrestler would be retired, right? Like their their peak. Right, a lot of times luchadors peak peak years are like forty four to fifty three. That's their those are like your peak luchador ages where you really get fully into the into the into the groove, and sometimes they're often very good until. Much, much later. 68, which is how old Terry is, is that's old, even for a luchador. But frequently, guys are very good until their late 50s and 60s. Um, you know, Casas, Santo, those guys, you know, still cooking well, well past the age that a normal human being would stop doing this kind of thing. Now, as we hit the wind down, head towards the finish, I keep you on here forever, but I promise I wouldn't, so I'm not going to. What about the Muda scale? So there is some debate over the the Muda scale, uh, the the uh, the origin of that. I was under the impression that it was my friend Dean Rasmussen, who was the star, the godfather of the Death Valley Driver, the originator of this whole thing that I do, and uh, was the guy who started it. He says that it was. John D. Williams, who was another old school wrestling board message guy, mm-hmm. uh, yep. was the guy uh, you probably know. John, he claims that he started that. So I, I'm gonna, despite Dean passing the credit off to somebody else, I'm gonna give him the credit anyway. It refer, it's like a way to sort of rate. We used to rate blood in the Death Valley Driver, like how much blood is in this match. What's the point of the Muda scale? It comes from a Muda Hiroshi Hase match, which I wrote about in this book. Of course, you can't write about a book inspired by internet wrestling fandom and blood and not write about the Buddha scale match, but it's a match where just, he just absolutely, uh, Hase who is, you know, for the, what Hase did for his entire career is an Olympic wrestler and was a technical guy and a great suplexes and ended up being a congressman and this was this one uh, match where there was actually a revenge from an earlier match where Hase bled a ton, where he just absolutely opens Muda up. And Muda is just, you know, saturated carry at the prom style uh, by his own blood in this match. And leaves just pulls all around the ring. And and so it is it is the blade job that, to which other blade jobs are measured by although there i think there are some in this match that in this book that exceed it but um but uh it's it's you know there are some ones that i think are 1.2 muda or 1.3 muda in the book but uh that's one of the that is one of the all-time all-time gross it's a good match too you know it it's uh i'm not was not an enormous fan an enormous fan of either of those guys muda or hase I was a Hashimoto guy, primarily in New Japan heavyweights. But, uh, you know, there's something about even that kind of when, – when you have that kind of work rate, I'm going to hit a moonsault or a suplex wrestling, which is my favorite thing. When you're doing that, you're like a – you look like a newborn baby seal covered in your own blood. It really adds to it. You know, it would be yeah. a yep. somewhat forgettable match, I think, otherwise. But it's unforgettable in the way it happens. Uh, so I think that's – I'm trying to think. There are some – 
Prada Morgan El Dandy has a lot of blood in it. I'm trying to think of the ones that really approach that from the book. Um, that one's got a ton. Uh, Killer Con Terry Gordy. Um, I just did a podcast. We're recording and haven't released a podcast on that. That one's got that one's one with a lot of blood. Um, and then a couple of like the real, you know, wild death matches in there have a lot of blood too. Um, but yeah, there's not a ton of those in the book. You could have. That's something that I think people have got. Got there's a niche in that that's gotten more popular. It's not my favorite type of wrestling. You know, the light tubes and syringes and skewers and stuff. Sometimes I think that's a little much, even for somebody who wrote a whole. You know, three hundred plus page book about bloody wrestling. Uh, I don't have a, a ton of ton of time for for that stuff, but I've got a couple matches like that in there, and those obviously always have uh, you know a lot and a lot of blood in them. Eddie and uh, JPL is up there too. I mean, Eddie JPL is up there too crazy. for sure. Yeah, that was at uh, uh, um, Ken Dory Hokata, uh, which is in the book. That's that's one where I think there was a an accident during the blading. Um, and she went with they probably went, and I think she had the idea with that. They had he, uh, while Yamaguchi bladed uh, Hokuto for some reason and cut too deep. And so there's a lot of blood in that match. It's a really, really compelling match, but pretty gross. Uh, so there's some stuff in this book where your, uh, you know, your tolerance, your, you know, if you have a weak stomach, uh, some of this stuff isn't for you. Um, but if you don't have a weak, so if you're, you know, if you're a wrestling fan, you know, I don't know how many wrestling there are people who wrestling, especially a little older wrestling fans like we are, who you know, you grew up with the stuff that is really, you know, you grew up going to the the drugstore and, and you know, thumbing through professional wrestling magazines yep. and looking, you know, wrestling high and wrestling gold and all of those like you know the ones that were a little less glossy than the PWI magazines. And, you know, they would have these, like, pullouts of Abdul the Butcher and Dusty Rhodes or the Sheik or, or, you know, Blackjack Mulligan or something or just be, like, you know, gory and you'd hope your mom wouldn't see she wouldn't let you. Probably if she knew that this was really what this was, she wouldn't let you watch Saturday Night's Main Event. If she knew that the one side of it was something like that. <laughs> so, yep. you know, like, you grew up that way. And, you know, in some ways I think the art in uh, the book is sort of a tribute to that sort of wrestling magazine thing that you know, a lot of us grew up on where you just, you know, you sneak in and find the, the real highlight. Now, as far as you, what's the, the favorite era of wrestling? Not, not just the, like the favorite match of the book, but like the favorite era of yours, like the, the, the highlight. Gosh. It's tough. I, I mean, I've, you know, I've got little individual pockets of wrestling, which I really adore. 2010, 2011, IWRG, you know, like, which is a, a, a independent promotion in Mexico. I love, I mean, it's the eighties. I think it's the, I mean, especially for a book like this, you know, territorial wrestling in the 1980s is the stuff that, you know, that's the close, probably closest to my heart, but you know, I, I'm somebody who sort of like dipping in all kinds of different eras. But, you know, we're talking about Flair and Funk and Johnny and Greg Valentine and Piper and, you know, Duggan and Buzz Sawyer and Tommy Rich. I mean, that stuff, you know, Jerry Lawler, I, that, that really is the, I think, the peak of peak of wrestling in a lot of ways. Um, but, you know, I mean, I love, I love a lot of the stuff. I love the, you know, the 
2000s indie wrestling stuff that we were talking about too. JPW and ROH and IW Mid South and all that little run and you know you know uh, you know 90s WCW and uh, you know there's a lot of stuff I love right now even even though I'm sort of I think a little divorced from current wrestling I still can find things that I really get excited about you know even uh, even now so you know wrestling's cool I mean that's the cool thing about it as a hobby is you can always you're never going to run out, even if you're not fully engaged in what's happening right now. You know, there's so much out there that you that even somebody who's a freak like me, who's who's you know spent so much time watching and writing about stuff, I'm always going to. There's always matches I haven't seen, and always eras that I need to dig into. And you know, I haven't seen that much rings, so I've been watching more of that. And there's all you know. It's the cool thing about wrestling. Is I was wrestling, and it, you know, and, and it's and, and uh, obviously so much of it is. You know, un- underseen or unseen too. Even the older, cooler stuff. I mean, that we talked about the Houston footage earlier. It was just really awesome that you could find these great matches from you know when we were kids that you know were available in full and nobody really had seen since they watched you know since they were in Houston in 1983 or 1988 or whatever. Now let us know like where we can get the Way of the Blade podcast, where everybody can follow you, social media wise, and of course let us know what you got coming down the pike next, besides maybe uh, the Dustin book. Well, uh, so the book is available on Amazon, so very easy way to type in Way of the Blade uh, and, and pick the book up if you haven't. Uh, I think, I mean, certainly if you listen to us talk about it, this has got to be something that's got to be interesting to you, and I can't imagine you'd be disappointed in the book. I think we put a, I put a lot of, I, some of the best writing I've ever done, the art's incredible, we spent a lot of time on it, and it's a real labor of love. So if you, if this sounds like something you'd be interested in, pick that up. Way to Blade the Podcast, we put something out every Thursday, uh, and that's available on all podcast platforms, you know, Apple, Spotify, uh, Amazon Music, whatever. Um uh, and I'm on Twitter, Phil A. Schneider, mostly just promoting this book, uh, but occasionally talking about some other things. Um, and uh, then segundakaida.blogspot.com is my home as a writer. And like I said, we put out something every day uh, that I write or Eric Ritz writes or Matt Carlo writes or or Tom or J.R. Goldberg. We got a handful of people who write on that blog now. And we have, and you know, the sort of do that kind of, you know, archaeology of wrestling, current stuff, older stuff, you know, uh, little projects, the French catch footage that we've been unearthing from France. That's every Tuesday. Every Friday we do uh, something called New Footage Friday, where basically we, you know, have a couple of people who just, you know, scour the internet and try to find matches that get put up that weren't out there before. And, you know, there's so much of, so much of, you know, the sort of democratization of the internet is people are, you know, the stuff that you used to have to try to find on, uh, buy on old videotapes for 20 bucks and get sent to you. And sometimes the video quality was terrible. Sometimes you bought them for me and the video quality wasn't great. I'll be honest with you. And, uh, but now, you know, so much of that stuff is available on YouTube and people are uploading weird things that really weren't out there before every week. And every Friday we try to put a, find three things that we didn't think had been easily available and review that. So, uh, you know, last week we did an all Japan handheld with like a 10 root six versus jumbo six man, which somebody got from some guy in Japan and nobody had really seen before. Uh, this week, I think coming up, we have, uh, fa- I found three, uh, Finley matches, 
um, one, Ooh, nice. uh, three that, that I didn't think it really did. Another one, like a Dave Taylor handheld match from England in '95, a match during his comeback run where he had that weird thing where he worked the Indies for six for like eight months in between WWE pro, uh, producer gigs uh, again in England against a guy named JD Knight, which is pretty cool, and then. A somebody in Manila brought a video camera to a house show in Manila in 2002, and there's like a sex man with Finley and King Booker and Mr. Kennedy against Batista, uh, Undertaker, and Bobby Lashley, which is like a fun, long house show six man main event. So that's the kind of thing we do on Secret Kaina. Is I find somehow that somebody from the Philippines is uploading their household house show footage and find the coolest match on that, and we review it. That sounds awesome, actually. Yeah, it's great. All those guys are good. I mean, I don't, not, a, not a huge, I don't have a ton of time for Mr. Kennedy, but all the other guys are good. And, you know, they get a chance to do these, those sort of long house show matches are always really fun. They kind of, you know, get a chance to really stretch out and do some shtick and, you know, uh, uh, and that's, it's a really cool match. Um, all three matches are really cool. So that's the kind of, that, that is a little, that is a, a, a sort of a taste of what we do over at Saguna Kaida every day is we're going to, we're not going to necessarily review AEW Dynamite this week, but we will find, uh, we will find the, the Manila house show match the, with Fifth Finley in it and, and, and talk about that and link to it so you can watch it. So yeah. And then we got the, so the podcast out every week, Saguna Kaida is every day. And you know, one of the books is in, Bookshelves, the other one's getting written, so I'm I'm doing stuff. Nice, absolutely love it, Phil. I appreciate all the time. Thank you uh, so much. Way of the Blade. I suggest everybody go out there and get it. This book is absolutely awesome. Whether you're a big wrestling fan or uh, or not, I suggest everyone get the Way well, of the you, Blade. Could you not be a big wrestling fan and get get fifty three minutes into a podcast? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, you're is probably a big fan. Yeah. <laughs> It's like a pretty mild, <laughs> uh, fit, yeah. but somehow is still in minute fifty three of this podcast. Would be true. Concerned. True. <laughs> hey. At least be a, a pretty big wrestling fan. You, you gotta get. Not, for some you, reason, you're the you're the mythical casual fan who's listened to this entire podcast. Please go buy my book. <laughs> yeah, you gotta buy this book. Whoever you are, you gotta buy the book. Way of the blade. And of course, looking forward to a little Dustin of the day as well. But Phil, thank you so much for all the time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate it, John. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash Empire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two Man Power Trip, where the power lies brother.